Welcome back to the podcast where we discuss the plausibility of sci-fi concepts with experts. I'm your host, Heidi Campo, and today we're going to be exploring the science behind climate change in the movie The Day After Tomorrow. Joining us is Carly Cassidy, who was a TV meteorologist for eight years with a passion for science and storytelling. She even received her CMB seal in 2019, which stands for, and I had to look this up, is Certified Broadcast Meteorologist. And that is ironic because uh, we are doing this episode today because just this morning, my Amazon Alexa woke me up early to tell me about a severe weather warning. So let me know if your Alexa's ever done that in the comments because mine is acting up. So I don't, I need to know if some AI is taking over it or something. Hopefully it's not the end of the world or is it? Stay with <laughs> us to the end when Carly is going to be tackling our burning question, is global climate catastrophe possible within our lifetimes? So without further ado, let's get ready for another mind-blowing episode of Reality Check. All decks, prepare for a hyperdrive. Activate tractor beam. Disengage tractor beam. Right, we're ready for light speed. Fire our light speed is too slow. All right, Reality Check. The science of fiction. So you probably saw the movie The Day After Tomorrow when it came out in 2004. The disaster thriller was full of CGI visuals that were stunning for its time. But did you know that director Roland Emmerich was actually consulted, he, he consulted with NASA scientists about the plausibility of the movie? This, similar to my Alexa incident this morning, is ironic because NASA is where Carly and I met. So I'm going to tell you guys NASA's hilarious response to that inquiry in just a bit. But first, Carly, welcome. I am so glad to have you on here. And I just want to open it up to you to hear some of your initial thoughts about the movie. Thank you. Yeah, so glad to be here. Of course, I saw it when it came out. And I actually just rewatched it again on Monday because it's been almost 20 years. Kind of like I know. What's been for? Isn't that insane to think about? Maybe don't think about it. Very. Yeah, but it, it is impressive as far as you said, the visuals and everything, but it also is very funny, laughable as you're kind of watching it, especially from a science standpoint. All right. So, so tell me, like, uh, let, let's just kind of dive into the movie. So tell me about, gosh, where do we even start? Like, we are going to get to the question of, is this even possible? But what I really kind of want to start off with is, What's really the difference between some of these hot buzzwords that everybody hears, weather, climate change, and global warming? Well, I think they're used interchangeably, but they're different, right? Yeah, definitely. And they each have, of course, a huge difference in the impact too, okay? So like you were talking about with your Alexa telling you the weather for the day. So of course, weather is more so your day-to-day, the short-term atmospheric conditions. Then you have your climate, and that's more long-term, and usually about 30 years that really determines the climate factor there as far as for a region. So kind of how you can think about it is weather is what you wear, the outfit that you pick out day to day. Climate is what you have in your closet for the seasons, right? So that's kind of the difference between the two. Then of course, for global warming, that's always interchanged also with climate change. But global warming is really just one piece of climate change because that's really into the greenhouse gases increasing temperatures increasing that in the atmosphere and the warming and then climate change is all of that that's warming as far as temperature you can also have precipitation wind so global warming is an aspect of climate change climate change kind of embodies it all got it so what would be the more so is there one term that's more appropriate over the other for what's going on with our planet as far as climate change or global warming 
Because I think people say things like they're afraid of us going into the next ice age. But to me, that doesn't make sense if we're warming up, right? Right. Yeah. And so, yes, you technically could still go into an ice age. But yes, we are looking more as far as a warming trend and have been. And climate change, it's been happening the entire time. And it is natural. It's part of our geologic ways. And it's also man-made. And that's really where the concern comes in as far as the rapid uh, doing so, really the rate, and then also the magnitude of how fast it's changing. It's not as abrupt as what the movie portrays, but the way that we are moving is faster and is where we can run into, obviously, those issues. In our lifetime, probably not, but into future generations, and really it's for the future, that that's the main concern. Gotcha, gotcha. So climate change happening over is the 30-year period, is that just kind of like a rough estimation or is that more of, like when we're talking about climate science, is there periods of time that these changes are classified under or umbrellas? Uh, I'm sure so, as far as we're looking at different things and different decades or however many years. But as far as for weather and like if you ever hear your local meteorologist saying the average temperature for today, that's over that 30-year period. So that's where that average comes from for climate data. Oh, I never knew that. I never knew that. So I've also heard this is when you're getting like the weather in your phone or the news or whatever, and it's saying that the, um, what did I say? The average or the estimated rainfall. um, We started. (laughs) Let's get started. I actually, because it's like, okay, it's going to be a percentage is like that a 30% chance of meat house or (laughs) like what, like, are they talking about coverage? Is it going to be coverage of the area? Well, that's also kind of what happens with those models. It is different models pulling different data and just giving you a percentage. So as far as how they're pulling the data, I don't know exactly what they're pulling it from. But if you watch for your local news station, your local meteorologist, and also everyone kind of interprets it differently, right? So if I say, like you said, 30%, you're going to maybe think it is just 30% of the day, 30% of the viewing area, 30% as far as how hard or how much rain you're going to get. So at least for what I tried to do and portray to my viewers was kind of a mix of all of that. And that's why it does depend too. You can't just look at the day and say, oh, 30% for today. Well, what time, how heavy, how much? Because it could rain just for three hours in the morning, but you could maybe get five inches. Well, it could, you know, rain for longer and you could get less. So it really does depend too, as far as kind of the variables that go into it and putting that together versus just a percentage and then communicating that effectively. Okay. So it's not an exact science where um, you said they, they are giving you the information. Where's this information being aggregated from? Are there analysts They're just taking it from different weather poles and data points and then giving you that data. So there's lots of satellites floating up above, like I know we were at NASA. So lots of satellites and that pulls from different models as far as weather models. So it's a lot of the same models that I look at too when I make my forecast, but you have the NAM, like the North American, the RPM, um, the European, the Euro. So there's tons of different models that pull data. Some work better in different locations because of topography. So obviously here where I am in Colorado, we've got mountains, differences compared to where I'm from Kansas, very flat. So some also models work a little bit better as far as rain compared to snow events, timing, things like that. So that's the different models that you are looking at as it's pulling that data in and then making that forecast. 
And also just kind of having that experience too, as far as the location, the topography, things like that, how things have played out in the past, putting that all together. So there's some areas that it's easier to predict the weather? I I wouldn't say easier, but you can see things coming a little bit better and know those patterns compared to as the mountains here, they're going to take a lot of that energy coming down the mountains. You're not going to get as much. Well, say you're like in the panhandle of Oklahoma, you can see those storms coming. Nothing's really going to take it or stand in the way. So there's just that difference in knowing that topography. And not even in the movie for Day After Tomorrow, just like how at the beginning when Los Angeles had like 10 tornadoes on the screen at once, like that would never happen. Also because of the topography of Los Angeles. I even looked it up. It's um, since 2000. They've only had 10 tornadoes reported and they had like 10 in that one scene. So it's just very different as far as the topography. And then say for the Midwest where you do have tornado alley and get tornadoes, it brings in a lot of that Gulf moisture. So it's really warm. It creates those thunderstorms. You get those uh, big updrafts, 60, 70,000 feet. Then it can rotate in LA. You're not getting that warm water basin. You're not getting that same structure. So tornadoes are really rare there. You would never see that <laughs> to that extent. So it does. So so thinking thinking about climate change as as the climate changes, does the possibility of tornadoes um, occurring in certain areas does that change? Like if you never see a tornado somewhere. Is it never going to be that way because of the mountains and the weather patterns? Or is it possible for some places on our planet that have never experienced certain weather patterns, tornadoes or anything else, yeah, all of a sudden start experiencing totally different weather patterns? I wouldn't say totally different weather patterns, but you could start to see maybe heavier rain events compared to just regular rain events. I mean, we even see that nowadays since we are getting those warmer temperatures, we are seeing as far as getting more of those really kind of longer term impacts and also events more rain more drought longer droughts also tropical storms they feed off of that warm water since everything's warming we're getting some more of those stronger storms more numbers of them so yes we could see more of it but again it will take a longer period of time to really get to that extent and that abrupt climate change and that abrupt weather pattern really difference Okay, that's that's kind of making sense to me. Um, and I'm thinking about what you said earlier, where it's like you have your outfit for the day, that's your weather. And then you have what's in your wardrobe for the whole season, that's your climate. Mm-hmm. So we can't have, like, let's say you just can't have snow in Florida, because we've hit a critical point of climate change. And now all of a sudden, everything's getting flipped, right? Right. And and maybe in some day that the temperatures would get cold enough there. But it's also the rate as far as how the atmosphere and the waters change, uh, ocean waters really change. You know, we do have that difference from the morning hours to the afternoon, right? It's cooler in the morning. In the afternoon, it warms up. So we do have that rate of change in the atmosphere, but that is an abrupt rate of change, just like in the movie, too, where people were freezing instantaneously. Like that defies the law of thermodynamics. And it would never get to that extent because you can't that it's just it's too immense as far as the atmosphere and the ocean waters the rate it would physically never it cannot change that fast so the movie kind of goes into and i'm going to butcher this name you're going to have to correct me the thermohaline circulation uh-huh. did i say that right 
That's the um, basically our ocean's currents, and the movie suggests that the disruption to that current leads us to a rapid ice age. What is so? Is that a real thing? The thermohaline circulation. <laughs> So what I found and kind of looked up is more so the AMOC. So that's what it's called, the Atlantic Meridional Overturning Circulation. And yes, that is a real thing. And it is as far as the pattern and so forth. But again, because the ocean is huge, there's tons of water. It's an immense volume. The rate as far as slowing or losing heat or gaining heat, it cannot physically change that fast. Um, obviously it's a movie, it's traumatized, you know, they got to fit it in in two hours, but that would never happen in real life in whatever time period. What was it like three to four days? So it was like, yeah, like two weeks or something, (laughs) two weeks. So yes, even in two weeks, it would still would never, um, happen to that extent. Um, even if I did look at as far as NOAA national oceanic, um, atmospheric administration, as far as the AMOC slowing down. It, it could. They are really researching that as far as it weakening over the past century. So if it did ever in the future completely stop or slow down, um, they're testing into that. But right now, that really remains uncertain. The main thing, if it were to do so ever in the future as the planet continues to warm, really then we would have more melting at the ice poles and it would shift a lot of as far as that fresh water. And then also the rainwater and so it could cause droughts in different areas that don't expect it or really don't ever have it. And then the sea level could rise in other areas. So it's just kind of switching things up as far as that pattern. Okay. So way less scary than portrayed in the movie. <laughs> um, yeah. What about some of the, there's, there's so many other like random little things like the electromagnetism of the planet. Like what would happen if like the, I, I, I'm forgetting the term right now. You guys are going to roast me in the comments. Please, please do. Boost engagement. It's a good thing. <laughs> please roast me. Um, but it's like, we always have like our, our, our North and South poles um, with the, you know, the compass always points North, but if those magnetisms like flip, it can rapidly change the planet's total ecosystem. Like it would draw bird migration and could, could something like that potentially cause rapid climate change? I have no idea as far as that, but I would not think so. Um, so I cannot really speak to that part. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. And that's totally fine. I love when experts are out here and telling me what we know. know and what we don't know. And that's, that's what it's all about. So what, um, what were some of the things that you maybe noticed that, that were a little bit more on the realistic side that you're like, Hey, you know, that could maybe happen from the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, not a whole lot. <laughs> um, because of course, you know, you had the ice sheet that dropped off and then it caused kind of this whole commotion, this whole widespread storm, even over the entire northern hemisphere. And that would never happen. You can never have a storm, it can't be storming everywhere at once. The atmosphere is always trying to reach equilibrium. And so that's why we have lows, why we have highs, the jet stream and so forth. And so you would never have it just blanketed across. So that would never happen. We talked about tornadoes in L.A. That is very, very rare to ever have that since um, the um, instantaneous freezing. That goes against the law of thermodynamics. And it was also funny because Jack, the main character, he's, you know, walking through trying to go 
save his son and friends. And he's not freezing, but everyone else is freezing and dropping, <laughs> right? Like, he's just dressed like he's going skiing or something. So it's funny, too, how, you know, he can survive that, but everyone else couldn't. Um, but let me get to my temperatures here, because I think they said it was minus 150 in the movie as the cold temperature where you were, like, freezing. And that temperature has never even been recorded we've never really in that cold no nowhere um so i think our let me get to it so while you're pulling that up this might be a funny time to say um so they they did consult with the nasa so some scientists at nasa they asked they're like hey what do you guys think about this movie and nasa came back with a statement that said that the events in the movie were too ridiculous to even occur and they denied requests um, to comment at all and then they sent out a memo to all of their employees stating that they were not even allowed to comment on the likelihood of the movie um, but then they later years later they retracted that um, right. statement but I found that on internet movie database and I thought that that was just like so funny that they're like listen this is so ridiculous don't you guys can't even comment about it and usually here on reality check we get things that are like threes to fives like some of my fives have absolutely terrified me and today i just thought it would be fun to explore a little bit more of a ridiculous concept yeah um so fun that better so i always thought you were pulling out <laughs> no i'm not in a three or a five with that but i did find so the coldest temperature observed this is the lowest recorded temperature on earth it was minus 128.6 and that was in antarctica and i just is Clarify Fahrenheit and Celsius. No, it is Fahrenheit. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And then the coldest recorded temperature in North America, that was only only minus only. yeah, 81.4. And that was in the Yukon territory. That was 1947. So they're minus 150 degrees is way out of the ballpark. Don't think yeah. that, thankfully. Well, even minus a hundred sounds really crazy because yeah. I've I've been in states like you know wyoming you go out in the winter and it takes your breath away if oh, there i don't know if you would be aware of this as a meteorologist but is there like a temperature where it's just you physically cannot breathe i don't know exactly i would think more so the wind chill factor is really what takes it away because with the wind it just there's nothing right and that's why you always have to be covered up and that's really the dangerous part of it as far as getting hypothermia being freezing things like that so it'd have to be a wind chill really factor in number and then however long you're outside really that extended period reality check the science of fiction so i'm still kind of really curious about your job so as a meteorologist because it's like we've got like all this like crazy ridiculous weather which like i think we've kind of established spoiler alert we gotta know which direction the score is going <laughs> So I kind of want to like, like now I'm just like interested in like you and what you do. So do meteorologists actually, or what you did do when you were working as a meteorologist, do meteorologists look at the data and then you would make the predictions or would you simply be reporting other predictions made from a staff that you worked with? No, I would do everything myself. So I do have a meteorology degree, went to school for it. And that's always what I had wanted to do growing up. And so started my career in Twin Falls, Idaho and you know, you start out in the smaller markets and there's maybe about three to four meteorologists on the team. 
Um, but no, you do everything on your own. There's no one that's making the forecast for you or pulling the data. I mean, anyone, any of us, even right now, you could just go online, go to the National Weather Service and look up all these different models. There's Weather Bell. There's lots of different projections, of course. Um, so look at all the data every single day. I'd make my own forecast, um, make it all together, put it in the graphics. So everything that you'd see on the system or on TV, it's really from this system. That's kind of like a fancy PowerPoint. So you type everything in, you know, update everything, get your forecast all ready to go. And then you'd have your time on TV as well. So updating the web, radio, things like that in between. So everybody respect that job so much more because yeah i always thought that like your meteorologist or your sports reporters which is like the pretty face online who are just like all right here's the facts no back to you back to you guy uh that's crazy you did it all so you are gonna laugh at this this is such a funny this is like a meteorologist story like the only only someone who reports on the weather is gonna laugh at (laughs) so back in the 90s we had our weatherman and he left for vacation once he decided to take his family on a trip to Hawaii, and Utah doesn't get tornadoes, right? It's spring. That, that week, we got a tornado. In <laughs> a week, our weatherman was on vacation, and he could not get back fast enough. I think he, like, got on, like, the next flight to come back, and he, like, showed up, like, the next day, like, disheveled. Like, you could just tell, like, he slept. It was like the tornado, the tornado. It was like the highlight of his entire career, and he missed it. Yeah, and get it. <laughs> growing up, our whole family laughed. We we're like, he probably never took another vacation after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Always happens that way, right? <laughs> I think that's. I think that's Murphy's law. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so what? What have been some of the craziest weather patterns you've observed in your career? Um, I guess when I was in Texas, that's where it was more so hurricanes. Um, I was in College Station, like where Texas A&M is at. So I um, was through Hurricane Harvey, which was obviously a huge storm, a ton of flooding, and also down into Houston. Um, so covered that. Um, we had some tornadoes spawn off, but mainly it was, of course, all the damage from the flooding. Um, so covered a lot of tornadoes, and then I also was in North Carolina. So there again, along the coast, covered a lot of tornadoes, and I- kind of same story i was at home on vacation in kansas and there was a tornado coming or excuse me not a tornado a, a hurricane coming and so i actually did fly back to a day early so i could oh, no. in coverage yeah it's a real thing so i did fly back a day early so i could get back also so i could get home um you know and get back to where it's supposed to be before maybe if things were shut down and things like that so i've covered a lot of hurricanes um tropical storms and then um, now I'm currently in Denver, so got a little bit of everything from the mountain weather uh, to snow, blizzards, stood outside of blizzard for like 12 hours. So that was really fun. <laughs> What's the scariest kind of weather, do you think? I think tornadoes, um, just because they can pop up and they are so violent um, and can cause so much destruction. And so at least with hurricanes, you get a lot of time to repair, right? You see them coming, you have that forecast, you have some time. Yes, they can be, of course, very destructive too. But I think also with tornadoes, it's just everyone also has that fear. I mean, even Twister, things like that, that it's just, it's more so the really daunting factor of it. Interesting. I would have thought it would have been hurricanes because of the flooding, but you're but you're right. Yeah, like you do see hurricanes. At least for me, that's that I would more scared and i feel like it's like more at life risk than 
But of course, flooding hurricanes are a huge concern too. What about freezing rain? Because I've experienced that once and it was the weirdest weather thing that I have ever seen because it came down like rain. It looked like it was raining. Yeah. And you walk outside and literally every single surface is a sheet of ice. Right. And it was thick ice. Like it didn't melt for a while. And we just like, we couldn't leave the house because there was literally not a single surface that wasn't covered in it. Like it iced over even the snow. Yeah. I thought the freezing rain was pretty crazy. Yeah. And it's super dangerous too, because you can't see it. It's like black ice. And if you go out, it's just the skating rink. But it's because, um, so the whole temperature profile in the atmosphere is just above freezing. So that's why it's coming down as rain. And then right at the surface and right at whatever it's touching, that's freezing. So it just freezes on contact. So it's kind of, we'd always say like on a glazed donut, it's the glaze where it's just like it's a light layer of glaze or in some cases can be thick if it keeps coming down and just keeps freezing on contact. Because otherwise for that's really, you know, coming down. Otherwise, if you would just have it as rain, it'd still be above freezing here at the surface. So it's not going to freeze on contact. So let me get this straight then. So it comes down as rain and then it there's like a shelf that's like a freezing point and it freezes right before it touches down. So yeah, so like your whole column of air, right? It's all around us. There's always, you, you don't obviously see it or feel, but yeah, so you have your whole column of air just stayed right above, it could be at 33 degrees, just right above freezing. So that's why it's coming down as rain. And then right at that surface level, it's at freezing or well below. And so that's why when it hits, it freezes on contact and it creates that skating rink and that ice layer and everything around it. So, cause it can't go away. It's not above freezing. So it's not saying this rain. Got it. Got it. That's, um, so how, how does that shelf happen? Cause I know that freezing rain's really rare. I've only experienced it once in my lifetime. Are the conditions that cause that shelf, um, do they have to be just perfect or yeah. what else is going on to create that? Yeah, you pretty much do have to have perfect conditions because it doesn't happen a ton, right? But the atmosphere, it's constantly moving, constantly changing. And so sometimes you just, it's, it's coming on down, it's freezing as it's coming down or it's not. And so it really just depends on the air temperature profile, the system you had before, what you have coming in, timing, everything like that, a lot of variables to it. Interesting. That is interesting. Um, and then again, growing up in Utah, sorry, I'm going to like turn my nose up at Colorado people. Our license, our license plates say greatest on earth. So uh, we've got it. So Utah, we, um, I think with the one, correct me if I'm wrong. I think why we have, I'm, I'm doing air quotes for those of you listening, why we have the greatest on earth is because of the great salt lake. And as the clouds move over the lake, the salt in the lake kind of like dries up the clouds but then it still precipitates with the snow, but it's not heavy rain snow. It's just all that's left is like the fluffy ice crystals. So we get this really dry, really, really fluffy snow. Is Have you heard the same thing? Well, it's also kind of like when, yeah, when it moves over, you can just kind of create this snow machine or so forth. And so, yeah, it just keeps it going. So you get some nice snow, not too yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because... Um, this is a secret for those of you listening. Inside, insider secret. Oh. Don't tell anybody else. Yeah, um, Sarah, don't you? Yes. Yes. The best snow is definitely the Cottonwoods, like Big Cottonwood Canyon, Little Cottonwood Canyon. So Snowbird, Alta, Solitude, and Brighton. Because oh. once the cloud passes over into Park City, mm-hmm. it's not the same snow. And like Park City and Deer Valley, they get way 
spicier. Mm -hmm. It's just like a totally different experience. But all the locals like that the tourists all go to Park City and they can keep whatever antics over there Mm -hmm. and we can keep our nice local resorts over at Brighton, Snowbird, and Alta and Snow... Solitude. Solitude's the last one. That's actually the only one I haven't been to. <laughs> but um, so what um, what are some other things that you noticed in this movie that you think were either just like extremely absurd that you want to educate people on or were really interesting that you just want to comment on? Hmm. Well, we kind of talked about as far as the weather aspects, um, but I mean... It's kind of tale of two, right? Because you do want to bring people's attention to this. It's just that it was also so far-fetched that people like myself were laughing at the movie and, you know, maybe take it as a joke. So then you're not going to take it as seriously. Of course, it's dramatized. It's propaganda, yada, yada. They even say, too, it's obviously not like a scientific documentary and you can't fit that in two hours. But I think it would be nice to try to hopefully find that middle ground at some point to where we do like capture people's attention while still being scientific and something for the future that's like plausible of course it's probably not gonna be a blockbuster seller like this but that would have been kind of nice to find a little bit more of that middle ground because of course this was just one extreme after the other after the other so yeah it was a little for me kind of hard to follow at some like Yes, I followed it, but, you know, to stay, like, totally on board with it all. So looking at our real-world examples of what we're seeing is, like, I would say more extreme um, weather or climate patterns. Um, It feels like, to me, and again, I don't study this, but it feels like we're seeing more tsunamis than normal. We're seeing more earthquakes than normal. We're seeing more fires than normal. Um, So those, those are, is that correct? Are those upticking in the rates that we're seeing then? So I'm not as sure as far as the numbers of tsunami or earthquakes, because that's not really categorized as far as for weather data. That's different. Um, but as far as fires, yes, I mean, I, I mean, contest that here living in Colorado. We've had some of the worst fires even over just the past couple of years. Um, so, yes, fires, if you remember just a couple four months ago or so up in Canada, all the yeah. terrible wildfires there. So yes, we are still seeing more fires and even we are adding to it too with more deforestation. So that is continuing to increase. Of course, we're seeing more greenhouse gases that's creating the temperatures to really increase or keeping that heat trapped in the atmosphere. And then that leads to droughts being a little bit longer. When we had all the fires here in Colorado a couple of years, we were all the way across the state in the drought for the longest time over a year thankfully we got a ton of rain so this is where the flip side of climate change also comes into play this past year my basement even flooded we had so much rain that we completely out of the drought which is great but it's these extremes where you are staying in the drought for so long or you're getting so much rain that you are getting so much flooding things to that extent and it's that you know heavy precipitation for so long for just like that it was in may where we had so much rain it was even think over double our average monthly rainfall total. So that's just crazy to see from one extreme to the other. So it doesn't have to be the whole extreme as far as the movie, but we still are seeing some of those local extremes too that could just be double the average. Reality check. The science of fiction. Um, so besides fires then, are we seeing anything else that we can be concerned about 
And then what I would really be interested in hearing you say is it's like, what can we do is like just your average day-to-day person to kind of mediate that. Like I try to, I try to recycle. I use a bamboo toothbrush. Like (laughs) I, I do, I do, I do little things, but what are some things that we can do to kind of help our planet a little bit more? Yeah. I mean, it's doing all of those things. And I think also we just need to really back up the science more and each person kind of learn a little bit more about as far as where we are going for the future. I mean, we all do try to recycle compost, little things like that. And that does help, but we also need to see the bigger picture as far as we're down the line. And so I think it also is greenhouse gas emissions. We have to find different ways as far as for, you know, public transportation, things like that on a bigger scale. So it is hard for each individual, you know, maybe to feel like you are making a difference. But I think also, you know, having these conversations, being involved in those conversations, being involved in political conversations about it too, and not just saying, oh, it's climate change, oh, it's for the future generations. But if you have kids, they have kids, like it will be impacting them. Um, To the other point of your question, I think also tropical storms, hurricanes, those continue to get bigger. We're having more of those just because they're fueled by warm water and the waters keep warming. So we will just continue to see some more Mm. numerous and stronger storms. And then that can create, obviously, more devastation. Okay. So what would you, what advice would you give to people um, who are living in some of those hurricane zones? Like I'm actually moving to Houston, Texas um, in about six months and I have never been through a hurricane. So what what do people need to kind of like do or know to prepare for hurricanes if they are getting worse and more frequent? Should we just stop living in those places? I mean, that is a personal choice if you would like to, but then that's also, you know, would you just not live in Tornado Alley because there are tornadoes? Are you just not going to live in certain spots because of other uh, things going on too? So, of course, can take that into account. Um, But I think, you know, listening to your local meteorologist as far as forecasts over phones and apps, um, they are tracking them, looking at them, and there to help you and to also provide that information. So I think definitely listening to that and listening to if there are evacuations in place, definitely doing so, following those really guidelines or recommendations, Um, listening to FEMA, things like that, Um, having flood insurance, you know, having a health and safety kit ready to go and being prepared. And, you know, you always see people stockpiling at the last minute, going, grabbing the water, grabbing the bread, things like that, but being prepared. Or the toilet paper. (laughs) That too, right? So being prepared, you know, and and doing so in a safe way. Interesting. Yeah, because um, so my husband was living in Florida during that last hurricane. I think it was Hurricane Ian, uh-huh. which um, touched down, I think is the, what is it? You're totally going to laugh at me. Is five the biggest? Category five. Okay, yeah. so it, yeah, so it like, I think as soon as it hit the coast, it was like a five, which was yeah. bigger than Katrina. Yeah. Um, and they, they, granted it category five like after the fact like the day of they're like it's a four they're like after the fact like nah it was a five um but it was interesting because not everybody evacuated and that was um it was it was forecasted to hit tampa so like pinellas county clearwater beach which hadn't seen a hurricane in over 100 years so those people were definitely not ready but all these floridians were just like whatever man you know we've seen hurricanes before we we're fine. We've lived through this. We're not going to be bothered by this. Like, where do you think that that disconnect is coming from with like the meteorologist saying like, please evacuate for your life. And people just being like, nah, man, 
we've been through this before. It's happened before. No big deal. I think exactly what you just said. If you've lived through it before and if you've lived there and you've done it before, you're and not immune to it, but you are going to be more like, no, I'm not going to leave my house and leave everything. You know, you are going to choose what you want to do. And so I think it's just that mindset. Like everyone has their own mindset of what they're going to do. Yes, we can tell you as many times. It's like anyone, like your mom telling you to what, clean up your room or something. You're not always going to listen, right? You're still going to do what you want to do. And so I think it's just the mindset. And if, you know, it's, oh, I've driven in snow before. I lived in the Midwest. Like I can drive in snow. I can still get in the car accident in the snow. So it's, you know, people are always going to push the envelope and do what they want as far as their agenda. Um, and it's their choice if they decide to or not. So I think so it's two things. Mom, I know that you're an avid listener. I always clean my room and I know you can uh, attest to that. Wink, <laughs> wink. <laughs> um, and then the second thing is really, it is interesting though, because it sounds like um, what I'm hearing is that the public does need to acknowledge climate change and acknowledge that these hurricanes are getting bigger and more frequent and more dangerous and not shake it off because that like really it does become like sort of like a public health and like a life-saving conversation for people to recognize that hey this is not going to be the same hurricane climate that it has been for the last 20 years the next 20 years is going to look different and you need to pay attention to when the experts say evacuate for your life and it is important to have those like go kits and have things stockpiled and like just being ready in advance um and it does really seem like there's probably going to be certain areas that that potentially become less livable. Um, like we are really lucky that Hurricane Ian did not hit Clearwater Beach because it would have destroyed that peninsula. Yeah. And I I love, I love Clearwater Beach, but it is such a fragile little strip um where like all the celebrities have their house because it's gorgeous. But it's like if a if a hurricane did hit that, it would obliterate that area. And so it really makes you think about your personal choices of like zoning and locating like where right. you want to put your home or your business. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And even for other aspects too, just going forward in the future, thinking that far down the line too, like what are you going to do then? But there's always, you know, and we, I feel like the media too always isn't the best portraying it because there's always that person that's walking down the street and it's like, oh, it's fine, you know? And then of course that goes viral compared to what really should as far as the information and what's coming out of it versus, but we know how the internet works. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's you definitely get the two extremes on every side. And that's that's one reason why I love starting this podcast and just like breaking it down and having conversations with real scientists that I can talk to and just be like, explain to me the science. And it sounds like a lot of the things I'm hearing is it's like we don't need to worry about Los Angeles getting tornadoes tomorrow, like 20 of them at once. Uh, but we do need to pay attention to some of the changes that are happening that could be life-threatening, like like the hurricanes um, hitting up like uh, Texas and Florida and up the coast. Those things could all be dangerous. And for those of you listening, that is my dog's tail wagging. He loves talking about climate change. It is his favorite topic. <laughs> he gets bad. So if you guys hear a little tail wag in the background, just know he's just really excited about this conversation. <laughs> So this has been really, really interesting. Has there been any other things that you wanted to touch on that we haven't gotten to yet? Oh, I don't think so. We did a pretty good job. I feel like covering a lot as far as 
what we saw from the movie and kind of portraying it back to this is definitely an abrupt and just a movie kind of dramatization because yes climate change is happening just of course not to that extent or in that time frame but it does start a good conversation and i mean the movie's doing its job we're still talking about it 20 years later so we are continuing that conversation of course we've also learned a lot in 20 years so just to continue on that track and to think more forward as far as future generations and that future of where the earth and everywhere is going because it's not going to head in the same direction as where we've come from and that's not just our fault it's also how the world and earth has been evolving so it's everybody's part I hate that that movie was 20 years ago. <laughs> I absolutely hate that part. Like Jill the baby. <laughs> so you guys leave your predictions. What do you think Carly's going to say? Drop a comment. Let me know what you think she's going to say. But Carly, it is time for a reality check moment on our one to five scale. What would you give the day after tomorrow? So I am going to give it a two. Okay. A speculative science. Because I, I could go between a one, the pure fiction, and a two, but it does have true climate change in it. And again, does get the conversation going. It's just, it's the complete extreme, the complete abrupt version, right? But it does have some good points to get things going. So it's not complete fiction, of course. So yes, I, I give it a two. So got a ways to go, though. <laughs> So this is something that could happen in maybe another thousand years, but definitely not happening in two weeks. No. <laughs> well, that was a relief because yeah. I was worried this Spoiler. morning when <laughs> I was worried this morning when Alexa woke me up on purpose to tell me about severe weather warning, which I don't even think my Alexa is set for the right city right now. So it was warning me about some other city. <laughs> well, it's you prepared. I am so prepared for what happens anywhere. <laughs> Carly, thank you so much. Um, if people do want to follow up with you about um, anything that you've worked on, is there anywhere where they could follow you or find you or hear about any of the projects you're working on? Yeah, absolutely. I'm Carly Cassidy Weather. So it's C-A-R-L-Y-C-A-S-S-A-D-Y-W-X on all platforms as far as X, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all those good things if you want to connect. Awesome. No, and Carly, guys, like she was super cool. Like we did meet at uh, a yes. really fun. Yeah, well, we we met at a super fun event at NASA. And so I know that, you know, we're getting into, you know, you and I are both getting into more interesting things in the space sphere. And that'll be, you know, I'll have you on the show in another 20 years when we're geriatric and we'll yeah. talk about weather in space. Because I made a one before then, we, you know, could add some more filters to help us out. Yes. Yes. Well, by then we're all going to be androids, so it'll be fine. Everything. <laughs> um, so that'll be that'll be a promo for our cyborg episode where we're talking to a human augmentation specialist about soldier enhancement. So that'll be oh. nice segue into that one wow um maybe i'll play that one after this we'll see um thank you so much for coming on the show carly guys what? let me know what you think about carly's score and if you have any other of your own thoughts on climate change weather please let us know in the comments until next time thank you thanks reality check the science of fiction